Well, good evening. It's a joy to be with you tonight as we get to open up God's Word and dig into where we are in our series in Exodus. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 18. We're going to consider the whole chapter, but we're going to read to start off with uh, just verses 1 through 12, but we'll hit on the other verses as we move through the message. As you're turning there, just by way of sort of an update where we are, we're about to hit halftime, halftime in our Exodus series. Uh, The first half is centered around leaving Egypt, and the second half is going to be centered around Mount Sinai. So this this Sunday is is our last one in the first half, and then we're going to take a little break and return to Exodus in 2021. Uh, What are we going to do between now and then? Good question. Um, We're going to, first of all, start a series next week in Ephesians chapter 2 entitled, Why Are We Here? going to answer that verse, answer that with verse 10, we're here for good works. And we're going to spend six weeks talking about how we get to that by looking at verses 1 through 10 in order. So hopefully that'll be a timely encouragement for us, live our lives for God and His glory, depend on His grace to do so. And then after that series is done, we're going to be right into Advent, and, and that will lead us into the new year. And so we will, we will hit halftime, and then we'll come back to Exodus in 2021, which feels weird, as I joked this morning, as long as the vortex doesn't open and the wormhole you know, sucks us all up, um, as this year has seemed to be going. For those who have that on your bingo card for December, you, know, you, still, you still have a chance, right? All right, that said, Exodus chapter 18, let's read verses 1 through 12, Moses and Jethro, and let's consider this chapter together. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel as people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other is Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father, father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him, and they asked each other of their welfare, and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they've dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law, before God. 
God, as we consider your word, we need your help. We need your grace to be poured out and at work in our hearts tonight. Thank you for the opportunity we have to gather here. And while we are gathered, God, would you do a good work in the preaching, the hearing, the receiving, the believing, the trusting in you and your word. This we pray to your glory and our good. In Christ's name, amen. So it was an unsettling experience. And maybe I've shared this with you before. I'm not sure. It's one that is so helpful and illustrious in a way. We hiked our young family deep into a cave near Grandfather Mountain in North Carolina. And when we got all the way in, as far as you go, the guide flipped off the switch. No light at all, anywhere. You didn't know what was up. You didn't know what was down. You didn't know left or right. You could not see your hand this close in front of your face. You couldn't. And it was in that moment the guide would then tell this story of 100 years before of how these explorers were deep into that very cave, probably near the very spot we were at, and their light source broke, and they could not see. They could not figure out which way to go, and they groped around into the, in the dark for days until they died. It's a great time to tell that story, right? <laughs> As you can't see your hand in front of your face, where are my kids? You know. <laughs> and then that guide flipped the switch back on. There was nothing more warm and peace-giving and soul-settling as that light, <laughs> lighting up the way in and out of that cave. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where it was just completely dark. When light comes, it is definitely welcome. Well, we need lights to be flipped on. We need that switch to be flipped up. And for us, the good news of God's grace is that God flips the switch. He flips on the light of our head and our hearts and our lives to the glorious wonders of who he is, to the incredible things that he does, and to the ways in which he wants us to live. He flips the switch. And what was once dark is now filled with light. What was once dead is now alive. And our story here is a moment in which that light switch was flipped on. Flipped on for Jethro, and as we will see later in the chapter, flipped on for the people of God as they learn what does it look like to live in this freedom he has brought them. And so hopefully, as we think through that together tonight, it will be a timely encouragement for you in seeing that God's grace is sufficient for you, yes, most definitely in your salvation, but also in your sanctification, in your growing in Christ-likeness. And so that's really kind of forming um, our, our thoughts and our outline for tonight is that by grace, Yahweh, God, makes us first see who God is through salvation. When God flips the switch in saving us, we see Him for who He is, His worth, His glory, His wonder, His grace and kindness to us. And then secondly, by grace, Yahweh flips the switch, and so it helps us see God's ways through sanctification. We'll see that in the latter part of our chapter. We see who God is through salvation, 
and we see God's ways through sanctification. So let's dig in that together. Let's look at this first half, the verses that we did read um, before starting here. Uh, Let's look at seeing who God is through salvation. So there's something important about chapter 18. Chapter 18 in Exodus really kind of serves as like the, the swinging gate of a book. It's a transitional chapter. It's, it's connecting elements from what happened before, and it's really swinging us forward to where we're going to be. And chapter 18 covers both the, the, the main theme of our series, both words. So if you recall, our series is entitled Delivered to Dwell. And chapter 18 is dealing with both of those components. So we see deliverance, the delivered story that Jethro and Moses recount together. And then in the second half, which we'll get to in a moment, we see the people of God needing help to sort out this newfound freedom that they have. How then are they to live? How will they dwell? In this chapter, really breaks down into those two parts. It's almost like a microcosm of the whole of Exodus. So what we find in this chapter is verses 1 through 12 focus on the events of Yahweh delivering the people of God from Egypt and, most incredibly, a delivering moment in the heart and life of Jethro. We'll get there. He experienced a very similar kind of deliverance that the people of God experienced in their delivering out of captivity. Then, verses 13 through 27, really focus on taking shape what this means to dwell with God, to live after His ways. Both aspects, delivered and dwelling, living for God, rely upon God who graciously illuminates hearts to see who He is, what He does, and His way for our lives. God flips on the light so that we can see who He is, what He does, and what living for Him looks like. So let's see here. Grace to see who God is through salvation. Just a quick reminder, we did get a lot of detail about Jethro in our 12 verses. He is Moses' father-in-law. He's also a Midian priest, which means he's He's not among the Hebrew people. He's not an Israelite. He would be of a pagan background. He would be a religious man who was also very thoughtful and welcoming. We definitely met him before in Exodus chapter 2. When Moses went into the wilderness to hide after killing an Egyptian, it was Jethro who welcomed him in. And so we find Jethro now returning back to Moses with Moses' wife and kids after the conflict with Egypt. Now that Egypt has been wiped out, Jethro brings the family back to Moses. And as he was bringing this family back and reuniting with Moses, Jethro got saved. That's incredible. What has happened to him is It's remarkable. This is good news. The the light switch has been flipped on for him. Let's let's consider a few things carefully 
in our passage. First, we find that Jethro heard. He heard. Okay? Verse 1. Jethro, the, Midian, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people. How the Lord, all caps in your Bible, how Yahweh had brought Israel out of Egypt. So he's, he's heard the good news of God rescuing his people. He heard it. And then again in verse 8. When Moses told his father, told, speaking, sharing, proclaiming, declaring. When Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sakes, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord delivered them. So again, Jethro is hearing then good news proclaimed from one who lived through the good news. So he's hearing good news and then secondly, not only is he hearing, but he is believing. We read of his salvation here. His head, his heart, his life, the switch has been flipped on. Think about this in terms of his head. Verse 11, now I know that the Lord, that is Yahweh, is greater than all gods. That word know is a hugely important word in the Old Testament. It is deeply personal, relational, intimate, experiential knowledge. It's not just information. He's not going to win a quiz show. He knows in terms of a meaningful, deep, intimate relationship, one that can only come by grace through faith. That's the kind of no that he is saying. He's not just saying, oh, the Israel God is a little bit better than the Egyptian gods. He's knowing him. A switch has been flipped on. What about his heart? Well, what does he do impulsive and first and, and, and joyfully? Well, he rejoices in verse 9. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel. He rejoiced in that he had delivered them out of the hand of of the Egyptians. His affection was going Godward now. His head knows experientially the Lord. And his heart, his impulse of his heart is to take joy and shoot it Godward. Third thing is that his life is different now. Verse 12, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, I feel like Jethro was like next to Moses when he was writing this. Remember, I'm your father-in-law. You know, put this in there as many times as we, as we read that. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. He's, he's dedicating, committing, consecrating his life to Yahweh. This wasn't just some sort of like, like flippant, like, you know, hat tip toward God. He's setting down his way of living to follow after Yahweh. And then what do we see next? Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses. This is not just talking about having dinner on a Tuesday night. This is fellowship. This is the welcoming in component of fellowship with God's people. This is a miracle just as profound and astonishing 
as any of the nine plagues, any of all that God had done in bringing the people of God out of captivity. Jethro was brought out of the captivity of his sin. The light has been flipped on. He sees and he, he sees all that God is through salvation. What a, what a remarkable thing. And how striking in contrast it is to the all of that slog we went through the last month of grumbling and murmuring and unbelief. And the people of God who didn't hear about Yahweh, but saw what Yahweh did and still were wrecked under unbelief. Jethro hears and responds with joy-filled faith. Now, thinking this through, how then does this first half of chapter 18 sort of land on our heads and our hearts and our lives? Well, there are two ways that are very compelling to me, at least that I wrestled with. First is this. This is encouragement. God is no different today than he was in Jethro's day. I'm going to say that again. He's no different. He does not work in hearts of sinners any differently than he did in Jethro's. The Old Testament isn't an angry God, and then the New Testament is the more happy grandfather-like God. This is the same God always, flipping light switches on in heads, hearts, and lives. So, since he is no different, that means the grace that he has poured out into our lives and the switching of the of the flipping up of the switch of our dead, darkened lives is, is how we come to know and to rejoice and to walk in newness of life. And here's the, the kicker. Anyone can get in on this. There isn't anyone so far deep into a cave of darkness of sin that God's reach by grace cannot reach him or her. There's no one so far removed that light can't get to them. That anyone can get in on this gospel, this good news of God who rescues people, switches, flips on the switch of their heads, their hearts, and their lives. You're not too far for the grace of God. No matter how far you sink, are submerged in sin. God's reach, God's light goes further still. Good news. Good news worth all the singing. Good news worth all the devotion. Good, good, good news. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Sort of a gospel flair to what we are saying here. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, thinking of creation? Well, think of redemption in the same way. Has shown in our hearts 
to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How profound. God flips the switch so that we can see his glory. What grace. What goodness. And through salvation, we get to see who God is. That's one way that it hits and lands for us. Second way is, is not so much focused on Jethro, but it is actually focused on Moses. Moses told. Moses spoke. Moses declared. Moses proclaimed. Moses, Moses shared. He had incredible good news. And he shared it. He, he said it. He spoke it. So that means we You and I, yes, us, we can be the means by which others come to hear and believe. Just as Moses shared with Jethro, we can share with others. This is how great God is. Look what He has done. He has rescued me from from my life and from my heart and from all of my sin. And guess what? Just like anyone can get on the hearing side, anyone can get on the sharing side. Anyone. I mean, think back. How many times did Moses not want to do this? (laughs) How many times did he try to get out of that in chapter 3 and 4 and (laughs) 5? And yet God still used him. And here he is now with his father-in-law sharing good news. So we too can get in on this. First Peter chapter 2, which certainly draws on rich Old Testament um, uh, picture of God's people, drives this home for us. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Awesome. What a privilege. Now God would use, and I'll say it this way, a bum like me. (laughs) That God would use us, our lives. Maybe it's to our spouses, or maybe it's to our sons and our daughters, or maybe it's to our siblings, or maybe it's to our neighbors, or, or those that are in our lives, whether it's through work or play. We have the profound, wonderful privilege of proclaiming the excellencies of the one who has brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Just like Moses was doing in that tent with his father-in-law. So we too get to share in such a, such a joy. This is good news. And in God's grace when he flips on the switch for us, we get to see who he is through salvation, and we get to make much of that which we see in him. Let us not lose sight of that profound joy and privilege. To, and I love the first Peter. Is it still up? Can you put that back up? Thank you. I love this verse. It doesn't say win arguments with those who disagree with you (laughs) when it comes to the existence of this or 
the position of that. It says, proclaim the what? Excellencies. The excellencies of the one who brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have an incredible meal. We find the most, like, amazing restaurant. And what do we do to our loved ones and friends? We tell them all about it. The, the flavors, the aroma, the atmosphere, the location. We, we give them tips of how to like park and to, to when to go and all this stuff because we want them to do what? Share. Share in the joy of that rich, good food and meal and experience. So we, when we think about how incredible God is, should just be sort of sponges that get wrung out with joyful expressions of how excellent God is in the lives of those around us. May we see God for who He is through the grace of salvation and may that lead us to be make people who make so much of Him with great joy and wonder of such grace that we have found. Now, that's the first half of Exodus 18, and, and as you can see, it's certainly focused on all of the themes and the, the stories in which we just considered in coming up out of Egypt. And now the second half of 18 is really going to be fixated and set around this new location, not centered around Egypt, but now centered around Mount Sinai. And we know at Mount Sinai is the giving of the law of how God's people were then to live, dwelling uh, as God's people. And so we find here, even in the second half of 18, and then really in the, into the rest of Exodus, how we can, by God's grace, see God's ways through sanctification. To learn how to dwell. And that's it. That's, it. that's where we hit now and, and where we will be when we resume this series. The challenge of how to, learning how to live the challenge of learning how to live. And here we will find that people struggle, struggle to know and follow God's ways, that is, to be a people who dwell with Him. In the second half of Exodus 18, we see an overwhelming volume of uncertainty about what this new found freedom means to how they were to live. So if you are still there in Exodus 18, let's, let's read verses 13 through 16 to get the feel, the sense of what is going on here. Exodus 18, 13. The next day Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. It's a long day. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that was going for the, doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? Let all the people stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses said to his father, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. They are struggling to know the way in which they are to live. 
They had known one way for 400 years. That was a very oppressive way. That was under slavery and bondage. It was an awful way. But they don't know the way in which they are to live now, and they needed help. So the people come to Moses, and they, they are really coming. How do we live? <laughs> They're inquiring of God. They, they need Moses to help make sense of what following after God after Yahweh really looks like. And they get into practical things that fill up their entire day, and, and it just continues to cycle through. Well, God doesn't want to leave us in a state of confusion or uncertainty. And by His grace, He illuminates our way through His Word. And so we find here grace to see God's ways through sanctification. Now, Jethro's this portion of chapter 18 is definitely well known. It's well known because of the practical advice that Jethro gives. It, and it's really treated as guidelines for leadership principles. But it's really more about seeing the illuminating grace of God sink all the way down into our very lives, into our very small family unit and shape the way that we are to live. Let's look at the heart of what Jethro says. Verses 19 and 20. This is Jethro speaking. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice. God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Now, the practical advice that Jethro goes on to give gets all the press. Make, make these groups and smaller groups and smaller groups and have leaders over all this and have them help sort of distill down what it is that God's Word is saying. Brilliant, smart, absolutely. But the heart is what we just read. The principle is what we just read. You shall warn them and make them know. The word for warn is the same verb that you would use for illuminate, or to shine forth, or to shine upon. To illuminate, to shine forth, to shine upon. You see, God's grace shined a bright light into our dead, darkened hearts and brought life. That's awesome. And guess what? God's grace is shining a bright light on our path so that we can walk in His ways. God doesn't stop giving you His grace. He doesn't shine a light on and say, great, now figure it out. <laughs> Meet you on the other side, I hope. <laughs> Good luck. He shines the light, and that light continues to light the way. doesn't leave us in disarray. He keeps shining so as to show us the way we should live. And that's what sanctification is. It's a growing in Christ-likeness that takes Oh, that, that is over the course of our life. It is progressive over the course of our life. We grow degree by degree, little by little, sometimes a little staggering up and sometimes a little staggering down and sometimes a little staggering up. And some of you are like, yeah, I know that visual. I see that in you know, my finances, right? But well, that can also be the way that we grow. A little bit up, and a little bit down as we go through the challenges and struggles and obstacles of this life. And as God 
works in us little by little, showing us the way. Friends, God hasn't bailed on you. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't sort of just left this vague, open-ended destination. He has given you His Word and the power of the Holy Spirit to illuminate so that we would see all the dangers and all the joys. We know the way to go. And there's a good thing to remind our hearts, to rehearse our hearts. Sometimes we, we can kind of lose sight of this. And maybe, and maybe, that's, maybe that's just me, but I have a hunch that it's not just me. Sometimes we feel like God's ways can be a little burdensome. That they lose a little bit of the delight. Here's a good way to remember that God's ways are not burdensome. God's ways are a reflection of His character, His worth. So what we said a few weeks back, that God is good, God is gracious, God is great, and God is glorious, His ways are reflections of that. And so following His ways is really for our good. It's for our good. And God graciously helps us see that. He flips the needed switch up so as to see His ways as ways in which we get to know Him more. For us, we are in a very similar struggle as the people of God in Exodus 18. We need the switch flipped on so as to see God's worth and ways with greater awe and commitment. Philippians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, is one of the best summations of sanctification. It's a, it's a picture for us of what this slow, growing, so, sure, yet slow, but surely growth in our lives. It says this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for... It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So the call is to work out your salvation. That means live in light of your salvation. Follow this life that God has rescued to for, or another way, because God is the one who's at work in you. God works in you, therefore you work out. We can never invert that. It doesn't ever work upstream. We can't work out in such a way that God says, oh, well, look at you, Sean. You did a really good job this week. Here's a little more grace. No, no, no. It's all downstream. God works in us so that we work out in our lives to will, that is, our desires change, and to do. Therefore, our, our living changes according to his good pleasure. He is not done with you yet. I don't care how old or young you are. God is not done working in you. Take comfort in that. I, I do. I do. I do. Take comfort in that. Take comfort that God doesn't leave us in the dark about how we are to live 
how we are to live in light of our salvation, that he continually illuminates the way. I love how Psalm 119, verse 105 says it. Many of you probably have memorized this one. Some of you who are younger probably memorized it in a Sunday school class or a kids club or what have you. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The light has been flipped on for you who are in Christ. And that light does not go away. It leads you onward, Godward, Christward. Take comfort that God is not done leading you. His grace helps us see who he is. So may we, like Jethro, rejoice in the God who flips on the switch. And may we, like Moses, know the excellencies of the God who calls sinners out of darkness into his marvelous light and proclaim it. And may we follow his way for living in the light, knowing he lights our path through a dark world and our distracted hearts. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that it can bring light uh, to our feet. And so, God, I would just pray for timely comfort for us who may be weary of of battling sin in our hearts or struggles around us in our lives, would you bring needed grace to light the way? For those of us who are following after you and been following after you, would you sustain us with great joy and hope and awe and wonder in who you are and what you do and how you would have us live? May we see that your grace is sufficient for our weakness and all these things, God, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Our benediction uh, this evening is going to come from the end of Second Peter. So if you would, please stand. These feel like fitting words for us to leave here with. Encourage us into the week ahead. Hope to see you all again uh, next Sunday as we get to gather around Ephesians chapter 2 for the next few weeks. But let's go with these words. May the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with us in our lives to His glory both now and forevermore. Amen and amen.